the axe of the blood god. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cap Bailey, and with me today is my loyal co-host, Nadia Oxford. Congratulations, you've been upgraded to co-host. Woohoo, I leveled up. Woohoo! Yes, and today we're going to be talking about, well, we're going to start with some RPG news. Um, we got some RPG news incoming. We're going to talk about the announcement of the announcement. Um, so by the time you listen to this podcast, the official announcement should have happened for Persona 5, whatever that announcement might be. Mm-hmm. Then we're going to talk a little bit about our favorite game of 2008, Valkyria Chronicles. And we'll finish up a little bit with our lost RPGs, yes. the ones that we want to come back. So let's get started right away. Um with the forthcoming news, whatever it might be, of Persona 5. Um, I feel like we're all kind of hoping for a worldwide release date, finally, Mm -hmm. because it was supposed to come out last year. I mean, I think they formally kind of revealed it in 2014, and then it was kind of radio silence from that point on, and then it felt like holiday 2015, and now it's 2016, and we're kind of hoping it'll come out this year, but we don't know. Yeah, it's very mysterious. Uh, we'll know on Friday whether it's coming out. I'm going to bank that it is actually going to get a release date, because I don't feel like it would warrant a, like, a live stream in a major event if they were if they were like not going to have a release date. What's your opinion on that, Nadia? I'm definitely going with release date on that one. Um, as you said, it's just too big of an event for them to just give us another teaser and run away and hide under a rock for another seven months. Yeah, it's been a long time coming, and uh, I'm pretty excited. If if they don't actually release it this year, if it's not a release date, I think it would be a massive disappointment. Do you yeah, agree? Yeah, it would. Um, just this year, especially with the NX uh, being what it is and the Wii U lineup being what it is, it's kind of a bare holiday almost. Like, I don't know, something feels off about it all. I mean, I mean, the Wii U is like getting about as many games as it does every year at this point. <laughs> oh, not to take a shot, not to take too big a swipe at the Wii U, but I mean, look at last year. We got what Mario Maker. Yeah, yeah. Uh, although no, no Zelda is a really big downer yeah. for this year. So I would really hope that's a huge one. Persona yep. Five would fill in something. Well, I mean, Persona Five is not a Wii U game, so no, but just that that gap you know what i mean like that cultural yeah. gap almost like christmas time should be mm. exciting well the wii u is getting i uh, tokyo nights is that what it's called oh um, yeah that thing I, I i remember it as smt crossfire emblem it's yeah. coming out in june <laughs> oh really it's coming out in june so i mean we're gonna have that uh, a lot of people are skeptical about it because it's or people are going eh, it's kind of idly yeah it it doesn't look quite like fire emblem or like, you know, Persona. I think it would have been a lot more fun if they had actually gone Fire Emblem, if they had put the focus on Fire Emblem rather than, say, like, kind of going full Persona, whatever it is, doing. I'm actually really okay with the idea of playing a Fire Emblem game that's, like, more modern and everyone wears really jazzy clothes. That'd be a lot of fun. Mm. (laughs) Oh, 
Yeah, that would be pretty fun. And they can summon demons. <laughs> yes, yes. See, that I can deal with. But, but we I didn't get that game. No, I'm not getting that impression from this game. It's kind of strange. It's a strange idea or strange execution. But I mean, I am not inclined to write it off. No, uh, I love the presentation. New. Like that's okay. Yeah. I'm okay yes. with that. And you, and we know that Atlas is never one to like do the obvious thing. Yes, <laughs> it's kind of their they, deal. They kind of zig when you expect them to zag. Mm-hmm. But uh, you have not played a Persona game and have chastised you about this on the podcast. You have before. chastised me for that and the woman I buy my dog food, sorry, cat food from has chastised me for that. So <laughs> I'm getting You're even getting chastised by the cat food person. I am totally point. getting chastised by the cat food person. I'm getting a dressing down every time I go in to buy kibbles and bits or whatever. I mean, it's understandable because I mean, when Persona 3 came out in like 2006, um, if I recall I don't remember how hard it was to get, but it was kind of under the radar as mm-hmm. games go. Though it, it certainly got a nice little groundswell of In Talking Time, which is Jeremy Parrish's forum, which is where we were kind of hanging out back then. Yeah. Um, it felt like everybody was talking about it back then. Yeah, they were. I remember that. But- and then Persona 4 came out and once again got a nice little boost. But I, I feel like, I mean, it's not like, I don't know, Final Fantasy here in the U.S. where, like, everybody knows it. Mm-hmm. but Which is hard to imagine, but that's the way it is now. Having said that, Nadia, mm-hmm. it's so in your wheelhouse that you gotta play it. You I know. You gotta play Persona 4 in particular. Uh, I'm actually wondering if, like, I guess I should start with 4, shouldn't I? Um, yeah, yeah. Because it, I guess it's the kind of series where you can jump in at any installment and kind of be okay, like kind of like Final Fantasy. Uh, well, yeah, Persona 4 and Persona 3 are standalone games. Um, right. Persona 1 and 2 are really different. Mm-hmm. I mean, the original Persona was a PlayStation game, and it looks like a PlayStation yeah. game. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like isometric, kind of 2D-ish, um, and you can get it on the PSP. There's a PSP version. Oh, and okay. And then, if I recall correctly, the first half of Persona 2 came out, but not the second half. Mm-hmm. Because there was a like a serious problem with the programming or something, it like oh. actually prevented Atlas from being able to localize it, which oh, was dear. a real drag. Um, but Persona Four, uh, that's uh, it was originally a PS3 game. Uh, Persona Four was originally a PS2 game. Actually. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, you can get it actually on your PS3 as a PS2 classic. Yeah, I but think. I don't have a PS3. I actually have a PS4 what? and a PS2. I'm missing the. PS3 so element. <laughs> so you should get a real, uh, get yourself a fa- uh, some fancy R- R- RBG cables mm-hmm. and get yourself um, a copy of Persona 4 from, I don't know, Amazon or something and indulge. Yeah. Or get a PlayStation TV and a copy of uh, Persona 4 Golden. Yeah, I really want to do that. Uh, like I said to you earlier, uh, my husband and I were looking into a, a PlayStation TV, but for some reason they're more a lot more expensive in Canada, so I need to kind of look yeah, into that. Yeah, I noticed that. that. They're like $30 here and like $100. Yeah, that sounds about right. I was looking into <laughs> it on your behalf. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I was that. like, okay, so I was like, uh, Nadia really needs a PlayStation TV. I wonder like if I can get it for her. And so I looked uh, at like a PlayStation TV and it was like 30 bucks here. I'm like, oh, that's not too bad. But then between like all the shipping and everything, it ballooned to like almost 100. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, geez. And then I went 
and then I went to and looked at the Amazon, the Canadian Amazon, and I'm like, oh, oh my God, it's even more expensive. What the heck? Yeah, it's kind of silly how things like that happen here. Answer, the Canadian dollar is garbage right now. Yeah, but even when it wasn't garbage, they didn't lower their prices very much, I'll assure you of that. Has it always been like that in Canada? Like, have games just been a lot more expensive? I paid $115 for Final Fantasy III on the SNES. Oof. Yeah. And I mean, but this was back when games, SNES games could be like $100. They could, but in America they tended more towards the $70 mark. So like uh, 75 Yeah. And uh, a friend of mine was telling me how, well, he lives in Quebec, and like he paid, God, it was like well over $100 for Fantasy Star 4. So we're just kind of exchanging stupid Canadian price stories. <laughs> sort of like a, a, Australia is just as bad. By Australia's even worse. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I forget, like, Consoles could be like in the eight nine hundred dollar range. It's, yeah, it's insane. Um, but I've I've, ne- I've never been to Australia. But I'm just this is secondhand from my friends in Australia. Like I couldn't believe the amount of money that they had to pay for some of their consoles. Yeah, they and of do. course, I mean, could be worse. You could be living in Brazil, where in I think 2012 they had finally just gotten the PS3. Oh right, I forgot about and that. That PS3 was like. A lot of money. <laughs> Much more than 599 US dollars. It may have been in the like buy grand territory. Oh my gosh. Like it was a real luxury item um, <gasps> that I think that only kind of rich people could really afford. Kings but and queens. Maybe our Brazilian listeners will want to correct me. But in any case, uh, I-, I think that Persona 4 Golden is kind of the gold standard of hey. the series. And maybe... Well, hardcore SMT fans will disagree with me, but maybe SMT in general. Um, it, it's just such a wonderful game. It's so much fun to play. Um, and the pers- uh, the the PS Vita version, or Persona 4 Golden, brings a lot of really great enhancements to the PS2 game, mm-hmm. um, including like an entire epilogue. Uh, the, they tack on several more months worth of story. Okay, yeah, so like I'm definitely the kind of person who will go for a remake over the classic experience, at least the first time around, so I think I would probably go for gold. It's also so an speak. HD. Yeah, there you go. Um, I'm okay with that. Uh, I appreciate the classics, but uh, sometimes I just want to go right for the bling. Yeah, so I really enjoyed Persona 4, and I, I guess I've I've pitched it to you in the past, but that's one more time. Uh, are you planning on getting Persona 5 whenever it comes out? You know what? Even if I don't uh, get to play Persona 4 before it comes out, and I hope I do, um, I think if I can just start with Persona 5, I will. Um, yeah, I mean, you should if you can. Because I'm, I'm t- kind of tired of being left out of the Persona loop because, yeah, a lot of my friends are really into the, the series. And I mean, the, I don't blame you. Lady. I don't blame you because it really is a, a commitment mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. I mean... Those games can take between like 80 90 hours. Yeah, yeah. And and they're not easy. Like it's you're not going to breeze through them necessarily. I mean, I I want to go as far as to say they're like super hard or anything. Uh-huh. Um parts of them can be really hard, but I, I I you really have to like lock in and and just go through it. But on the plus side, especially if you're playing it on the Vita, it's such a great portable game. Yeah, exactly. Like that's why I think I would actually prefer to get a Vita over a PlayStation TV just for that reason. I don't want to be chained to my TV while playing a 90-hour game. Yeah, the best thing is you'll be like going through a day, right? Yeah. Cuz the way it's structured is you're like 
playing through each day in game time. Mm-hmm. And a day might have like three scenes and you can knock it out in about five minutes or so. Yeah. Five to ten minutes, depending. And so it, so you'll like play a day and you'll go, okay, well, that day is finished. And then you'll turn off your veto. Yeah. Or or if you're like me, you'll go, well, I can, I can go through one more day. <laughs> and then one more and one more and one more. And then you get to the dungeon and go, oh, I got to try out <laughs> this new personas. And then the next thing you know, you're fighting the boss and it's been like three hours. And your dog is starving and dinner hasn't been made. Well, luckily I don't have a dog, but maybe my cat. Yeah. Yeah. The cat won't let you, the cat will definitely let you know if it's hungry. Yeah, Persona Five. Um, if you haven't played the series, I'm sure that'll be as good an entry point as any because, like Final Fantasy, it's standalone. Um, and like Dragon Quest, it's standalone. Yeah. So you don't have to have any like prior knowledge, which is probably for the best. Um, yeah. One observation that I kind of made about Persona, and y- you can agree or disagree with me, I think that. From a quality standpoint, and maybe from an international hype standpoint, Persona is kind of the the, the flagship JRPG at the moment, um, with all due respect to Final Fantasy. I think Final Fantasy is more likely to... It, it's going to make... It has more money behind it. Yeah, it really There's does. a much bigger marketing budget. Um, and it's going to loop in more, uh, I would say, casuals. Um, who might remember Final Fantasy VII from back in the day. Yeah. But I think people underestimate how big Persona has gotten, especially in Japan. Yeah, I can see it being like, especially in Japan, here is a little more of a niche title. I mean, it's not going to have a cover of Stand By Me anytime soon. (laughs) (laughs) But um, Japan, like, I know that it's huge in Japan, and even though I'm not really into the scene, I I know. So that says something. Have you been to Japan? No, but uh, just going by like the, whatever culture I managed to absorb through osmosis via the internet, they seem to be really huge into their SMT and Persona. I mean, Persona 4 in particular. If you go back, if you go to Japan and you go into like, I don't know, Akihabara or Nakano or something like that, you're just going to see so much Persona merch. Wow, that's fun. In fact, like, I would, I don't, I don't know like how it is like right now, but um, the last time... I checked, uh, most of the Gundam merch had been cleared out for the most part. And it was Evangelion, um, was it Evangelion and Persona and maybe a couple other things? Mm -hmm. Oh, Attack on Titan. Oh, of course. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but like Persona 4 was like right alongside them. There was just so much Persona stuff. I thought that Gundam was eternal in Japan. I mean, it is, but... When I was living there, you could, like, have an entire floor just devoted to the models. Wow. And, like, the toys and stuff. Yeah. And now, like, you go up to those same floors and it'll be, like, maybe, like, a couple shelves. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, Gundam still retains a pretty pretty big presence, but there was a pretty big gap around, um, I don't know, a, a couple years back before um, the, most, the release of the most recent series... Um, there was Gundam Age, which is the one by level five. Right. So this is kind of tying into the RPG podcast because they actually did make an, a Gundam Age um, RPG. Oh, there you go. Uh, Gundam Age was a total flop in Japan. Oh, 
Oh, dear. Because it, people, like, treated it like the prequels, mm-hmm. the Star Wars prequels. Oh, it's destroying my childhood. Oh, geez. <laughs> like, the art style was kind of gross. Uh, people were saying that the final part of it was just friggin' awful mm-hmm. and some of the worst Gundam they've ever watched. And so, uh, as a consequence, uh, Bandai Namco didn't get their, their model refresh. Uh. So they had to go back to go back to the well and release the the hundredth variant of the original Gundam. <laughs> so that's and the... people weren't biting. So well, that explains that then. I guess uh, th- everything fluctuates even in, even in Japan. Yeah, but going back to Persona Four, or sorry, Persona Five. Um, my recollection is that when it got a reveal, like I think they actually had like a huge outdoor event. Oh, sweet. That, like, people were, like, going to, to, like, watch the, the first trailer and everything. Like, it was wow. it was a thing. It was a big deal. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, it's really cool. So, I think, obviously, Persona is much bigger in Japan than it is here. Mm-hmm. But it's certainly a top-tier Japanese RPG at this point. Oh, yeah. In everyone terms of quality and Nearly everyone popularity. I know who plays it just has nothing but really good things to say about it. Whereas Final I, Fantasy really kind of gives you more of a mixed response in terms of, eh, but Persona fans are dedicated. We're dedicated because Atlas just does such a, it's such a polished and mm-hmm. enjoyable and deep and honestly weird and off-kilter <laughs> experience. It is unique. I mean, yeah, like it it has a really distinct identity mm-hmm. that it, it's not trying to be something it's not. Yeah. And so, like, and it knows what the fans want, so you can kind of latch onto that. But suffice it to say, I'm excited for Persona Five. I was pumped for Persona Five last year. Um, <laughs> it will be my most anticipated game uh, this year, alongside. We'll see. Horizon got delayed. Mm-hmm. I, I can't think of what else is coming out this year. Oh, Last Guardian probably going to get delayed. <laughs> yeah, probably at this point. Yeah. I c- I, I, I'm treating a release of that game with a great grain of salt. Yeah, I'll believe it when it's in my hands or on my hard drive. I, I, can I tell you a secret? Sure, tell everyone a secret. I, I might buy that Call of Duty Infinity War. The, uh, the one they just revealed. Yeah. It does look different. Uh, I mean, compared to other Call of Duties. They, they said this. The, they said the magic words. Space. No, Starship <laughs> Captain. Oh. Now, see, I have zero. And then they I... showed you in the cockpit of a ship. Oh. With starships everywhere. Yeah, I'm not, and I was I'm like, not huge into that. I was like, Space Marines, uh, but on the other hand, uh, no, nah, they're of probably Duty. not. Uh, and Call of Duty. Uh, I, I'm not as much of a Call of Duty hater as some people are, but. No, yeah, I, so. I'm not a hater. I'm totally, totally indifferent to it. Uh, all I know about it is my brother, my older brother, was huge into it to, at, to the point where he would, uh, at Christmas time, uh, be like, oh boy, all the noobs are going to get on today. And he would, because <laughs> everyone would get the game as a gift and he'd go online and totally destroy everyone and, you know, increase his ranking. But uh, he, that's me and Madden. Yeah, exactly. He hasn't played much as he had his kid. So either that or servers, uh, either that or the servers are going to get knocked offline because everybody's trying to get on at once. Yeah. But before everybody like reaches for their phone and is like jamming at the fast forward button for us to try and get through this conversation. <laughs> I suppose that's like a decent segue to another piece of RPG news um, from, a, uh, I suppose it's a week and a half ago now. Um, a Canadian retailer started restocking Infinite Space. Mm-hmm. Did you see that? 
No, uh, I actually meant to look that up because I wanted to know which Canadian retailer it was. It's a big country. Oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> that's something where I look at my phone and find out because I'm prepared. Um, did you ever play Infinite Space? No. Weird game. Um, I liked it a lot, and I wish that there were more games like it. Mm-hmm. There's never going to be, like, there's never going to be a sequel. But, so, the what it is is that you're playing this kid who goes into space, and you get command of a starship, um, and you're going from planet to planet, and there's, like, a pretty defined, like, quest line. Right. Um, and there's, like, starship combat, and... The way it works is like the two ships are coming toward one another and like you can shoot like multiple different types of guns and you need to know when to like raise your shields and that kind of thing. Right. Um, and launch fighters. And then uh, there's also like ground combat, but it's just this weird like kind of rock, paper, scissors thing going on. And it's also kind of a visual novel. Right. It's crazy ambitious for a Nintendo DS game. And- it probably has no business being on that co- on that console yeah yeah i think i've heard of it just because i've heard of it being the word ambitious being used around it yeah okay so it was video games plus that restocked it video games plus what city do you know uh, online <laughs> the city of online i love and it immediately sold out of course yeah it sounds like they found it sounds like they found some old copies in a warehouse or something and restocked with those. Because oh, Sega's certainly not reprinting them. No, of course. But it, I really wish that somebody would go out and make Infinite Space, like some indie developer would make Infinite Space on like Steam or something. Yeah. Like a game like it. Like the, I can't find games like Infinite Space out there. Yeah. And we need more of the kind of like the Stardew Valleys of the world where you take a, a great idea and make it far better yes exactly like there are plenty of starship games but usually they're like top down kind of like tactical games like yeah. um, gratuitous space battles or there's something like ftl where i, I mean it's roguelike-ish but it doesn't really have a story and it's like randomly generated mm-hmm. you're kind of creating your own story now i want something like infinite space it sounds interesting. I would play it uh, if uh, we got like a, a remake or a, a spiritual successor to it. Yeah, I, I think there's a rather famous story about how in the in the '90s Derek Smart um, was trying to make a game called Battle Cruiser 3000. Oh yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, it's kind of an infamous story because he got into one of the biggest and like craziest flame wars in like internet history. <laughs> over that game and when it did actually come out it was well kind of unfinished and pretty buggy and like had a lot of issues because he went completely over the top with like all the promises like you're gonna be able to go to planets you're gonna be able to do this and huge galaxy mm-hmm. this all in the late 90s oh no not happening not happening so I, I i would like i would like the scope and the complexity and i'm okay with like kind of simpler graphics yeah if, like we can swing it but I think it'd be a really fun RPG. So somebody go make it because God <laughs> knows I'm not going to go get off my butt and make that game. Yeah, I'm not good at coding and stuff. Well, you don't have to be good at coding anymore. No, you don't. That's you really can... interesting. How uh, was it Game Maker Studio? I mean, that's what made Undertale. That's what made Hyperlight Drifter. Uh, but I don't yeah. I don't have the drive or the ambition or the energy or 
the desire. So someone else do it, please. Acts of the blood god, we don't have the drive or the ambition or the energy or the desire. We're just going <laughs> to sit here and talk about these games. Yes, I'm very good at talking about them, but not much else. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we could theoretically make it in like RPG Maker or something. Mm-hmm. Um, or the Unity engine, um, if you like like really buckle down and like learn how to work in that thing. But yeah, that's the beauty of game design now. You don't have to be a coder anymore. Yeah, and I've actually played some really good RPGs in RPG Maker. Um, yeah, exactly. So I, I have no objections to people using that sort of thing. As long as your game is fun, you can make it on toilet paper for all I care. Absolutely. So a game that definitely was not made on toilet paper uh, <laughs> came Maybe. out eight years ago... Not today. Well, it was about seven and a half years ago. Valkyria Chronicles, mm-hmm. which is back in the news because a HD remake is coming out pretty soon on the PlayStation 4. And uh, did you get a chance to play Valkyria Chronicles back in the day? I did not. This is my first Valkyria Chronicles first time. experience. But you've, been, but you've been kind of revisiting it in, in anticipation of the new game coming out. Yes. What do you think? Very interesting. Um, I actually don't know what I was expecting. One of the reasons I decided to kind of get into it is because I thought, okay, you know what, let's do something completely new that I, you know, missed last generation. Um, And yeah, it's like, how do you describe it? Like, it's obviously technical, um, sorry, uh, combat, like turn-based combat, Mm -hmm. but um, there's kind of an action segment to it as well, isn't there? Yes, so it's a tactical it's a it's a tactical RPG. Yes, and the way it works is you have your team, um, you place them on the map and everything, and then you select them, and you have an AP bar, and you can move the pl- uh, character for as long as that AP bar lasts, mm-hmm. and then when you when you want, whenever you want, you can just shoot. Yes, um, and the way you have to use a point, you have to use a command point to actually be able to use them. Yes. And you can move one character, like, multiple times. Which is really uh, neat. I'm not used to that. Their AP bar will get shorter each time. But you can theoretically, like, plant somebody, like, in one spot. And if they have the ammo and the... If they have the ammo, they can take out, like, a whole bunch of enemies, like, at once. Yes, which is really handy because different characters have different skills. So mm-hmm. uh, if you have no use for someone who has a rifle, uh, but someone else has, like, grenades, you can select them... And uh, blow stuff up. What else do you think? What's the What do you think of the story? Uh, so far, the story is uh, it kind of gives me a Sweet in Two vibe, which is always good. Ooh, in um, what way? Oh, just like the political war, whatnot. Although um, I will say it's not nearly as serious as mm. Sweet in Two was, uh, which is bad and good because, uh, on one hand, you know when war is colorful and fun, it's not nearly as serious but on the other hand when it's not as colorful and fun it's not serious you know what i mean <laughs> like I'm, I'm not saying it's making a mockery of battle or anything like that but uh it is kind of weird to me i mean it's very anime very very uh, anime the, yes the characters have like kind of combined these world war ii outfits but like the girls are all wearing skirts in battle they mm-hmm. have battle skirts yeah like they do maybe maybe not all that practical yeah. Which is fine, actually. Well, to be fair, the boys' uniforms aren't very practical either. Uh, it, like you said, it's just very anime in that regard. Yep. Um, and you have... But it's it's kind of neat. I'm always a fan of, like, alternative histories. Uh, and, of course, this is, like, an alternative history of the Second World War. Mm-hmm. So um, I find that quite interesting. Uh, Except you're not fighting Hitler. 
No, you're, you're fighting, not. You're fighting like the Russians. Yeah. It it's is. kind of like Command and Conquer Red Alert. <laughs> Just with more anime. <laughs> yes. So, like, in this universe, anime Hitler, uh, <laughs> like, got removed from history from anime Albert Einstein, and that allowed the, the whatever the villains are called in this one, uh, to give power, and they started rolling in from the east to take over uh, Western Europa, mm-hmm. and Gallia, Gallia is in the way. Yeah, Gallia's just kind of, like, being bulldozed, because move it. Yes, exactly. So, and then you are the, the plucky band of upstarts who are fighting a holding action to try and keep them out of Gallia. Yes. It's reminiscent of the heroic resistance put up by the Belgians back in World War One, except uh, once the, the Germans brought in like the... They brought in a piece of artillery that was so big that it literally had to be brought in on railroad tracks mm-hmm. and just basically immediately leveled the, the fortress that they had been holding out in. Yeah. And that was pretty much that. <laughs> you kind of get the same vibe with uh, Valkyrie Chronicles because one of the first things you're up against is are tanks. Uh, they really don't wait until they roll those out, so to speak. And so nope. you have to learn how to effectively battle them. Which actually reminds me more of the First World War, of course, which is really focused around tank combat and, you know, the poor humans who had to go up against them. <laughs> well, toward the end, for sure. Yes. Uh, spoiler alert, shoot them in the back. There's a big, the big glowy, glowy spot. thing that's kind of obvious, yes. <laughs> but they they have an in-universe justification for it. I forget what it was. It's, uh, they're, they're looking for something called, like, Ragnite? Yes. Um, and the Greg Knight's all glowy. Okay, right, and that's what powers the tanks. Exactly, so they can... if you use it, it's going to glow. Yeah, well, that's fair enough. Yeah. And then also your tank also has that big, glo- big blue glowing spot, and it is also very vulnerable, so you have yes. to be really careful because the enemy will come, and they will shoot your tank, and it will die. Yes, and uh, one thing is as hard as you can dish it out to the enemy is they can dish it right back at you, no problem. Absolutely. Um, if anything, like the tank is maybe the most vulnerable and like like mission critical unit in the game. Yeah. Because it seems invincible until uh, a lancer just shows up or a tank just shows up and shoots it right in the back and it just blows up and it's like game over. Yep, you've you've done it. Does the game end if you uh, if that particular tank gets blown up? Like yes. Okay, so that's like such a story important piece. I guess it's not going anywhere. Yeah, I've been replaying Valkyria Chronicles on and off, um, just because I'm like, I miss Valkyria Chronicles. And I'm kind of stuck on, like, the first really hard mission right now, mm-hmm. which is you have to get from point to point to point. And I I can't, I, I keep getting toward near the end. Yeah. Uh, there are, like, multiple tanks everywhere. Like, you have to be, like, pretty on the ball in terms of, like, how you deploy everybody. But I, I would get toward the end, and my tank would be leading the charge, and then somebody would sneak up behind it and just shoot it, and it would die, and uh, that would be the end of the mission. Yeah, it's, which it's is not a an drag. easy game, um, and which kind of worries me a bit because I'm kind of not good at strategy games. Mm. I try, I enjoy them, but I'm not good at them. Well, uh, Valkyria Chronicles is not easy. No, no, I'm already getting that impression. <laughs> like. I mean, just in... So I, I did finish it back when it first came out. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But I ended up using a step-by-step walkthrough because, holy crap, this game gets insane toward the the middle parts. Um, Because, uh, like, you're just facing, like, these fortresses or these, like, hugely powerful enemies. And getting through it in a reasonable amount of time, like, involves, like, precisely deploying your units. Yeah. Because you only have 20 turns or something like that. Well, not only that, but... You have to, like, often you have to, like, the game invites you to deploy, like, fill up every one of the little slots mm-hmm. um, when you're doing your pre-deployment, but it's actually kind of a bad idea to do that. Oh, that's good to know. How come? Because when you capture a base, it's easier to just uh, then call in somebody, like, immediate, like, later. Right. Rather so- than sending them away and then calling them back. So that's good to know. That's how you can get your characters across the field, like, really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, like, knowing the right mix of units to put in onto the map at any given time. It's like, okay, well, I want... There are, like, three spots where I can deploy my units, and I want, like, a couple scouts here, and I want, like, a sniper here, and I need a lancer here, and I don't want anything else. And then I can, like, move through this map in phases. Yeah. Yeah, and there's also some tough bosses in this game. Really tough bosses. Yeah. So uh, if I if I say Selveria, uh, I think a lot of Valkyria Chronicles fans will be like, "Oof, yeah, <laughs> yeah." But still, I think it's I think it's held up um, uh, upon my like replaying it on PC. I think it's it's held up. Yeah. Um. Like I said, it's my first time playing it, and uh, it's uh. It's a it's a pretty high quality game. Uh, I can see why people still revere it, as it were. Um, that said, I'm not going to be I'm not going to be scared to use a walkthrough when I need it. No, I, w- I wouldn't be scared of it because as much fun as the actual campaign is, it it I, I think that the story is equally a treat in this mm-hmm. game, which I don't say as much. I, I don't say that as much about a lot of RPGs like. I, I was reflecting recently, actually, that, it, like, I like The Witcher 3. I, I have a lot of respect for The Witcher 3, mm-hmm. but the story, like, kind of bores me. <laughs> I, I don't know. If, like, it, it's, a, it's a well-written story mm-hmm. and everything. It's fine. But, like, just watching the cutscenes, like, kind of put me to sleep. Yeah. Whereas, like, I'm really enjoying Dark Souls 3 because, like, the story is practically non-existent. Like, yeah, just there kinda... is a story, but you have to go looking for it. Exactly. And I kind of prefer that. Um, but Valkyria Chronicles, like, I, I I really got engaged with the characters right away, even though, like, they're kind of anime archetypes, right? Yeah, they are a little bit. But uh, I do like the fact that the story is kind of, like, doled out in little small amounts. You know what I mean? Like, the mm. uh, maybe that'll change as they get deeper into the game. But uh, so far, the little kind of minuscule chapters, uh, they talk a bit, and then, like, you go back to the the book, and then, you know, the, you... you open up the next chapter and they talk a little bit more or you go fight it's it's paced well i think the scenes are presented as a reward yes not as a mandatory thing yeah so if you want to watch them you can yes i mean some some of the scenes are mandatory but there are a lot of optional things and then you can do things like there's a newspaper reporter and she'll like put out she's like writing a book and she'll put out like newspaper reports which are kind of fun and then there's like an entire optional like scene where like they do the beach episode. Of course. <laughs> where they all go to the beach. 
Got uh, each episode. Essentially, you're watching an entire anime series with each chapter being like an episode. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's good stuff. I, I like it. I mean, yes, it's very anime, but in a way that's kind of like comforting and fun. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of self-aware and not silly as a result. It's very... It, it just wants to show you a good time, even though it, there's it's war and everyone's dying. It's a yeah. fun war. And, and it obviously has like the kind of cliche anime tearjerker moments, but... I'm not gonna lie, I got a little teary um, at a particular moment. I think a lot of people know what I'm talking about. Um, so it it does have that power because mostly because even though the characters, even though the characters are kind of cliche in their own way, they are they're fun. Mm-hmm. Like I, I became kind of emotionally invested in the cast, like like right away, and I like cared about them, and that's you know obviously a huge step. And in fact, Valkyria Chronicles is like particularly well regarded because even though you're like squad squad seven, like you don't actually get to see any story scenes with most of the the, the cast on your roster. Mm-hmm. They all have like really distinct personalities. Yeah, they do, especially when you're recruiting them and like it's like, uh, nice to meet you, I guess. And then you have like the other ones who are like, hi, I'm going to do my best for you, and it's it's really cute in that regard. Or the sniper who's like, I will kill you. Yes. <laughs> Just stay the hell away from me, murder. Yeah, so far the snipers I've met are all a little bit strange, but I guess that's not surprising. Shockingly, snipers are weird. Yeah. Who would know? Um, but if you look at their like likes and dislikes, mm-hmm. like some of them like like some of them are bisexual and like both boys and girls, or like they have like allergies, or they have a particular like yeah. or they have a particular hobby. Like, all of them had lives before the war. That's, like, a major theme throughout the game. Yeah, it is. I've noticed. And they want to go back to them, obviously. Yeah, they want to go back to whatever their livelihoods were because it's, um, volun- it's a citizen army. Like, everybody gets called up mm-hmm. because it's such a small such a small country. Yeah. And, and, like, some of them hate each other. Like, they don't want to be around each other or they're, like, completely in love with one another. Yeah, it's a little bit Fire Emblem-ish in that regard. Yeah, so if you, like, put them... If you put them, like, say, if you put a character who doesn't like boys around boys, like, they'll get a debuff? Yeah. Yeah. Or, like, or, so you have to be, like, pretty conscientious about how you use the terrain and stuff. Yeah, I noticed there's a a personality trait specifically called (laughs) man-hater. Yes. (laughs) And one of my recruits uh, is, like, a fancies woman and is a total man-hater. Yes. Oh, who are your favorite characters so far? Oh, I haven't really like sussed them out yet, but uh, I will definitely get back to you on that one. Um, Edie, I don't know if you noticed Edie, but Edie like actually developed her own fan base in Japan. <laughs> which uh, which class is she? She is a machine gunner. Oh, really? I'll have to keep an eye out for her. Yeah, and she's like shock an idol singer <laughs> or wannabe idol singer. Um, and she's kind of, um, harsh or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, for whatever reason, she just immediately developed a fan base in Japan. And so Sega responded by revealing, releasing DLC that like specifically starred her. Oh, that's fun. The ED detachment. <laughs> and then I think her younger sister maybe shows up in Valkyria Chronicles 2, which is an excuse for ED herself to show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Edie became very popular um, 
to maybe the chagrin of some fans who are like, <laughs> oh, for God's sake, of course the idol singer became super popular. Yeah. Um, an- another piece of trivia, um, which is kind of self-serving, but I don't care. Uh, the very first RPG podcast that I ever recorded was speculating on Valkyria Chronicles 2. Oh, really? Yep. Oh, that's cool. Um, we, I recorded a pilot episode with Jeremy Parrish and Justin Haywald at 1UP. And we and the Famitsu reveal of Valkyria Chronicles 2 had just happened. And we were speculating on whether or not it would work on the PSP. Spoiler it, really didn't unfortunately yeah you don't hear so much about valkyria chronicles 2 no and it kind of killed the game the, the series over here because people did not care about the psp I yeah mean, valkyria chronicles got a little bit of traction here it did not sell well mm-hmm. out of the gate um on the but nevertheless like it got a lot of buzz because it was on the ps3 yes and it looked great i mean it was just it was such a polished and amazing looking Japanese game in a period when Japanese games, yeah, let's not mince words, they were kind of struggling yeah. with uh, current gen systems. And so, and Valkyria Chronicles was just such a cut above all of them that like it just garnered a fan base immediately. Yeah, it's a very good looking game. Yes, but uh, Valkyria Chronicles 2, unfortunately, I mean, it had a lot of, uh, it had to have a lot of technical compromises mm-hmm. just to work on the system. It still looked okay. Um, but like much smaller area, like much smaller levels. Oh yeah, I can see why that would be the case. Like way smaller, and then like you're in a in a high school, so they went like full high school anime, and yeah. a lot of people didn't really appreciate that. Yeah. And so it was kind of a drag. And then Valkyria Chronicles Three came out also on the PS3, and it was kind of reviewed as a a return to form for the series, mm-hmm. and it was in a lot of ways. Um, still had the technical compromises, but I thought. Yeah, this is a good game, right? Yeah. Um, I, I liked it better than Valkyria Chronicles 2. Um, it's kind of a kind of a Dirty Dozen style adventure. Like you get a, a team of misfits. Oh, that's cool. Versus a squeaky clean Squad 7. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but it never even came out here because by the time Valkyria Chronicles 3 came out, like the PSP was dead. Yeah, um, that's really too bad. R.I.P. R.I.P. Yep. Um, and now we're getting a new Valkyria thing. Yes, we are. I, I don't know what it is. Uh, some kind of... I, I can't even really describe it. It's not a tactical RPG, though. Yeah, um, I'm, if I uh, click with this one, and so far so good, uh, same here. So, uh, overall impressions of Valkyria Chronicles so far? Uh, definitely uh, a pretty high-tier uh, turn-based strategy game. Uh, I can see why it's remained on like the lips of so many strategy game fans over the years. No complaints there. Yeah. I have a lot of, uh, I have a lot of um, love for their Valkyria Chronicles and always will because, well, first of all, I'm a sucker for like just military history and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And second of all, I mean, it's just a phenomenally well-made uh, um, anime RPG um, with uh, a good, good on the tactics side and good on the story side and also really freaking hard yes it is very hard <laughs> but it's solid all around all right so the last thing we're going to talk about really quickly so valkyria chronicles we thought it was gone but then it came back mm-hmm. um in part because the pc version managed to get a lot of traction at least from what i've been able to see um 
But there are plenty of other beloved properties in the RPG space that have kind of gone missing. And I was kind of wondering, like, what you would like to see come back, uh, Nadia, like, to, to be able to kind of get, like, a new lease on life, like Valkyria Chronicles. I would really like to see um, a new traditional Secret of Mana game. Um, and what I mean by traditional is uh, something in the vein of the very first quote-unquote Secret of Mana, Seekind and Setsu 2. Um, I mean, even like Final Fantasy Adventure was the same idea, just where you, that quote-unquote Zelda clone, where you go across the world, beat up enemies, uh, use some magic, uh, maybe fly on some mana beasts, and um, just, I find modern mana games just try to have, always have a gimmick or, or something like that. Like, I actually downloaded Legend of Mana, which I never played, and I got bored really quickly. That was the PlayStation one. Yes, yes, I downloaded yeah. it on my PSP, but uh, it was just like, build a world, and it's like, I don't care about building a world. <laughs> That's not why I play Secret of Mana. Yeah, it really confused me, like, when it first came out, I was like, oh, um, the Mana games, I've heard of those, um, I think I'll pick this one up for the PlayStation. But then I, like, read some reviews, and I was like, what? Building? Huh? Yeah, it's... It... This doesn't sound like anything that I want to play. And when you do fight, it's so slow and tedious and just opposite of everything that, like, Secret of Mana was. And even uh, Seek and Densetsu 3, which is, quote-unquote, Secret of Mana 2, um, that was a gorgeous, gorgeous game for the SNES. Um, but even that was, I don't know, something about the first game just really just strikes a chord in my heart but even so i'll take i'll take whatever i can get as long as i can beat stuff up without any limitations without having to stop and look at real estate or whatever so the most so mana does exist in one form um it recently kind of really uh, returned to well ios and and uh, ios and android and there was also a vita version mm-hmm um, was it released here as Final Fantasy Adventure? Um, yes, uh, Adventures of Mana for iOS. Yes. I think I actually wrote about that on US Gamer, and yeah. I actually enjoyed that very much. Um, I guess I would have preferred a, a, a release that uses a traditional controller like the Vita release, but I don't think that's happening here. No, I don't think so. But uh, in general, I, I really enjoyed myself, and that's why it kind of struck me, hey, you know what I'd really like to see? Just a mana game with good music, decent graphics, uh, a cheesy but fun story about a huge ass tree and uh that's it just something chopped down traditional and fun yeah the rise of mana also came out on ios android and vita um in 2014 so that one i missed uses uh it has a free-to-play model yeah so uh yeah (laughs) yes exactly i I totally believe there's a time and a place for the free-to-play model but i don't think that's it same no. same oh. thing is happening to uh, another JRPG series, which is close to my heart. Breath of Fire, number six, is a free-to-play RPG, and I don't think it's coming here. Yeah, that's a shame, isn't it? It's really too bad, because um, I've talked about five in the past and how I appreciate it for what it is, but it's very intimidating. And um, I played Breath of Fire to begin with because it was so colorful and, and traditional. But uh, six, even though it goes back to, like, the traditions as far as like you have like your warrens, you have your grass runners, you have like all these races, you have great colorful graphics and it's like it's a free to play thing. And it's like, uh why do you have to do this to me, Capcom? Yeah. Well, I mean Valkyrie Profile sorry. Valkyrie Profile is also coming back, um, as a mobile game. Free to play? Uh 
I think so. Um, It actually doesn't look terrible. Um, It looks kind of uh, relatively faithful to the original game in that, at least from the battle system standpoint. Mm -hmm. Because if you're not familiar with it, you got the four characters. Each one is mapped to a button on the controller, in this case a touchscreen. And you go through the combos. um, And you like break the enemy's guard and like try to get it so that you get a super attack and then you use um that super attack like multiple times to like knock them down um and you see leneth using like the nibelung velesti and all that stuff yeah uh but it sounds like it seems like the dungeon crawling aspect is not there um there i I saw the gameplay trailer that i saw had like a, a map like a mini map where like you would go from point to point and it looks like you you fight some enemies. Yeah. Uh fairly typical of uh an iOS quote unquote RPG. And it's like so- I I'm not against these sort of things at all, but I just kind of wish that we'd get traditional games alongside them. I mean, I think Nintendo is taking the right approach in that ter- in that regard. Like here's our mobile adapt our, our mobile game and here's our full-blown you know, game in the same franchise. You know what I mean? Like they're kind of pairing them up so that people get more interested in the you know, like the full experience, quote unquote. Hmm. But uh, as far as like Breath of Fire goes, it's like you got mobile or you got nothing. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, and that's how it goes for these kind of like second tier RPGs. Unfortunately, uh, the one thing that's kind of giving me hope is I thought Valkyrie Profile was dead and buried, especially last year when we were like reading the eulogy for Triace, which we thought had gone full mobile. Mm-hmm. But Trius is kind of back. Yeah. And they're working on Star Ocean right now. And with hope, uh, and the producer of Star Ocean even said that he had a pitch document for Valkyrie Profile 3 on his computer. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I'm kind of hoping that if the iOS version of Valkyrie Profile is a success, that they might go, well, there's enough interest in Valkyrie Profile for you to make Valkyrie Profile 3. So you're going to put it on iOS, right? <laughs> That's really the best thing you can hope for in terms of like uh, resurrecting old properties. I think that some developers, especially like traditional game developers, are realizing that uh, mobile is not the easy money it once was. So, oh, God, no. There's so many games out there that you're just going to get lost in the mix. So I think they might be starting to lose interest in automatically bringing everything that from our childhoods over to mobile. And maybe they'll yeah. go back to... Um, saying hey how about a full-blown game because there's people who are really nostalgic for this sort of thing make a sequel and put it on steam yeah put the original valkyrie profile on steam because or not steam or at least on playstation network because valkyrie profile um got re-released on the psp um alongside uh samaria mm-hmm. when samaria came out on playstation 2 and but otherwise like valkyrie profile has been pretty hard to find actually you um it never got a PlayStation Classics release, re-release, unfortunately, um, and it hasn't popped up anywhere else. So, it's it's always been kind of kind of rare, kind of hard to find. Yeah, and unfortunately, that looks to continue to be the case. In fact, um, I've been thinking about going on Amazon and just getting the discs because the discs you can get for an okay price. Yeah, if you try to get like the full-on jewel case, you're gonna have a little harder time. Um, because I've been in the mood to play it lately. So, yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah, well, thank you. I will. Um, any other RPGs series that you wouldn't mind seeing resurrected? 
Well, earlier I mentioned Suikoden. That's always one that should come back. Like, but, oh, God. Uh, it's, it's painful to even think about. <laughs> well, they did. It was called Suikoden Tearchris uh, for the 3DS. Yeah. and it was, Or the DS, and it was terrible. Yeah. The, yeah. That was several years ago, too. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you'll ever top Suikoden 2. No, you really won't. Um, I didn't even like 3 that much. Um, no. I didn't like 3 when I was playing it. Yeah. I, I have it on my... Uh, I have the PlayStation 2 version, and I was like, oh, this is much uglier than 2, unfortunately. <laughs> it is, and not only that, I actually played uh, 3 just after coming off Dragon Quest Eight. Ooh, so that was a bit oh, of a that's drop. rough. Yeah. It has a gorgeous opening uh, movie, though. But uh, beyond that, uh, just look that up on YouTube, and you've got your Suikoden 3 experience. Unfortunately, 3 was kind of the last real Suikoden, because the yeah. creator like dropped out of the series after that. Yeah. And that was that. Um, like, Suikoden 5 has its defenders. Suikoden 4, not so much. Suikoden 4, I have a friend who <laughs> who once said she tried to play it, and she was like, uh, I can't play this game anymore, because it looks like when the main character is running, he took a dump in his pants. And I just <laughs> never forgot that, so... Suikoden, <laughs> uh, so when you're running, you take a dump in your pants. Yeah. On the western side, uh, I wouldn't mind Kotor coming back. Um, as long as we're recording on Ugh. May the fourth. Yeah, be with you. Thank you. <laughs> yes. You can always count on me. Yes, um, I wouldn't mind Kotor coming back because I mean, we kind of got that with Star Wars: The Old Republic, but it's not the same. Yeah, no, I never had a chance to play Kotor. Yeah, no, Kotor. Kotor is a classic. Yeah, you can get it on Steam. You can get it on iOS for God's sake. It's oh yeah, it's everywhere. everywhere. Yeah, I bet there's some sweet mods out there. I'm actually, man, now I'm gonna go on like Mod DB and see if like there's anything that like will really greatly enhance the visuals. I bet there totally are. Probably yes, but you have to look for it amongst all the mods of like play naked characters or turn the lightsabers into penises or something stupid. Uh, you know me. <laughs> Naked characters and yeah, never mind. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I. The reason I want a Knights of the Old Republic over playing Star Wars: The Old Republic is because I liked having the party building. Um, I liked having the like the NPCs that you would slowly but surely get to know over the course of the entire game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's designed as a classical RPG, not, and it doesn't have its basis in being an MMORPG. So yeah. I don't want the command bar stuff. Um, who knows if Bioware would like, maybe Bioware would mess it up. Maybe they would make it too action oriented. Um, Cause when, when KOTOR came out originally back in 2003. Oh yeah. Like this was Bioware kind of at, at its height. Yeah. Um, so I, I wouldn't necessarily trust them to like, do right by it which is maybe a little cynical and mean i mean i did like dragon age inquisition Mm -hmm. but they're trending toward not very deep um like flashy but not very deep um kind of rpgs is disappointing i can understand that sentiment so uh little birdies tell me that mass infect andromeda is looking good oh so that's good to know yeah so we'll see like we'll see how that one turns out but in any case, uh, I, I don't know. Hopefully, I, I, hopefully we get some old favorites. But at the same time, I'm also always open to new games. Yes, it's, it's okay to innovate and come up with new and interesting RPGs. Um, I mean, last year I mean, it wasn't necessarily an RPG, but SteamWorld Heist was awesome. Oh yeah, that was an amazing game, and there's DLC coming out if I'm not mistaken. Yes, exactly. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that. 
But mostly I, I hate original, but most of the time I hate original ideas and I just want stuff that makes me comfortable. <laughs> and if you want to continue to feel comfortable yourself, you should subscribe to Acts of the Blood God, which is a US gamer podcast. You can find us on Stitcher, Spreaker, uh, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, sorry. Um, and over on iTunes, of course, um, subscribe to us, rate us, review us. We'd really appreciate it. Um, we also just launched a new video show thing. Yes, um, we did. We're, we're calling it US Gamer Hangout. Um, the four of us, um, me, Nadia, Mike, and Bob all get together. Three of us have a topic. Um, one of us is the host. Um, we go for about 30 minutes. Uh, we, we may eventually turn this into a streaming thing, but right now it's kind of a dual video show slash podcast because mm-hmm. we're also like pulling the audio and putting it on the iTunes feed. You should be able to find it from our From Us to You feed, which is can, kind of laying dormant until now. Yeah. Uh, right now. Nadia, what are you working on? I just put up a, a new note block beatbox. It'll probably be a day old by the time you uh, hear this, but I hope you look at it anyway. Um, I actually did it for Mega Man 4 in honor of Jeremy's ongoing Mega Man streams. Oh um, my gosh, the ultimate quest. I believe in Jeremy, he's going to do it. Oh yeah, he will. I, I have no I have total faith in him, but going um, all the way to Mega Man Legends 2, I think. Yep. He's uh he's That's crazy. he's dedicated himself to this. Dedicated man. But I decided I'd look into uh Mega Man 4's music because I feel it's really underappreciated. It is, but it's actually really good. It is. It's very experimental and I uh, kind of go a little bit into uh the history of that because the person who composed Mega Man 4 actually did the music for Breath of Fire as well. Mm-hmm. So that was a cute little link. But um, yeah. What I, song did you pick? I, I actually picked to highlight Dustman's theme because oh. I think it's very unique uh, compared to the rest of the soundtrack, which is very rocking. But Dustman is like kind of melancholy almost. It's a very grainy sound, but purposely so. Yeah, that was a good song. Yeah. Um, I, I was always partial to Dive Man's Oh, Dive Man's theme great. <laughs> and also Pharaoh Man's theme. Pharaoh Man's theme is great, too. I actually um, linked to several of the themes uh, in my piece because I, I feel bad excluding them, but I mm. always try to highlight just one. It's hard, though, And Dr. Cossack has a good theme, too. He does. Uh, that's, it also kind of constituted a little bit of a shift for the series in terms of, like, just how the music sounded. Mm-hmm. Um, cause Mega Man 2 and 3, 1, 2 and 3 all kind of sounded similar, but 4 felt maybe a little more advanced. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, I said in my piece that like just the graphics and the sound, like they, they're very, very iconic of a certain age when the NES was transitioning, like 16 bit was, a, was becoming a thing quickly and 8 bit really kind of stepped up its game. Was 16 bit already out by that point? Uh, I know it was 1991. So at so yes. In Japan at least, yes. The Genesis had already come out. I got Mega Man 4 for Christmas, by the way, um, many, many cool. moons ago. And guess what happened as soon as I un- unwrapped the paper? Oh, uh, a thief came in and stole it and ran away. No, power outage. <laughs> no. And the power outage lasted until the next morning. Oh, no. So I couldn't play my NES. The Grinch won. Yeah, the Grinch won. It really... It, it, but eventually I got to play Mega Man 4. It was my first Mega Man. Was it really? Mm-hmm. Mine was 3. I always did love 4, though. Yeah, well, I got an NES when 3 was already out. Yeah, same. Um, And when I first... This is getting off track, but I don't care. It's Mega Man. When I, 
when I originally saw the original, when I saw Mega Man for the first time, I was like, man, that looks weird. Because <laughs> the character, I was like, well, the character is tiny, right? Yes. And the way they jump is strange. And like, I think it was the tiny sprite that really put me off initially. Mm-hmm. But then I rented Mega Man 4 from our local gas station. Oh, that's really <laughs> awesome. And like, I was hooked after that. I was like, oh, this is a great game. Well, okay, it, has, it has like huge mid bosses, even though Mega Man's tiny. Yeah, no, it looked great, and I loved the music, and from that point, I was all in on the series. And I have finished Mega Man 1 through 5, uh, not 6, because that one was boring. Um, I finished 9 and 10, but I got to the final, I got to 7, I got to 7's final boss, and I always died on it's not, the, it's... The, the sliding part of yeah. 8. Jump, jump, dive, dive. Yeah, 8 slide, I never slide. finished. 7... Seven, uh, I'll highlight that music someday because it has some good stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I can talk about Mega Man for hours, so I should probably stop. Maybe we should have our own Mega Man podcast. We should. Man. Oh, that's great. Uh, one other thing. Um, one Hit Wonders. Um, this week's episode is Bionic Commando. Yes. A game, a game that I played literally for the first time when I was doing my One Hit Wonder. But... Yes, and, and spoiler, you did all right for your first time. I, I thought I did okay. Um, I was I was moving along, moving along. Died first in some spikes, unfortunately. But that's what happens when you let go of your little grappling hook and you fall <laughs> all the way to the bottom of the stage and go, oh, oh spikes. yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, this is a video game. Bad guys put spikes on the bottom of floors for no discernible reason. Well, they're apparently yeah. very effective. Very effective. I died. Yep. So... But you, uh, but yeah, go keep checking out usgamer.net. Please do. For all of that wonderful stuff. In the meantime, Nadia, thanks as always for coming on the show. No Congratulations problem. on becoming our semi permanent uh, guest host. Hooray! And, and people seem to like you. Yeah, so that's nice to I'm know. Getting lots, been getting lots of nice comments, which is really nice. Oh, that's but. so sweet. Thank you, everybody. I really enjoy talking about games. And uh, if you want to keep on listening, I'll keep on jabbering. Yep, you can find Nadia um, on Twitter at at Nadia Oxford. Mm-hmm. You can find me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. If you have any questions or comments, send an email to cat.bailey at usgamer.net and we may read your email on the show. Yes. But for now, I've been Cat Bailey um, as well as Nadia Oxford. Thanks for coming on the show. Um, and until next time, happy adventuring. See you later. Bye.